Hello and welcome back to The Real Pulpit. I'm your host, Graham Pirro, and I'm joined today by my new co-host, Assistant Halftime Leisure Editor, Dejour Evans. Dejour, how are you? I'm doing all right, mostly. <laughs> Excellent to hear. And we're also joined by Assistant Halftime Leisure Editor, Iman Rahman. Iman, how are you? I'm living. Excellent. So today we're doing a classic best movies of 2017 podcast. I know it's midway through January, but what the heck, it's never too late to talk about the movies we loved because 2017 was an up and down year for movies. Um, But we have identified our top five favorite movies, a couple of honorable mentions, and then we'll close out the podcast by talking about our least favorite movie of 2017. Who knows? We might spend longer on that than we do on our <laughs> top five. Uh, but let's get to it. Should we retitle this best and worst of 2017 or just best? Then? I think we'll stick with best. <laughs> we'll see after we're done recording how we feel. Um, so, Dejour, do you want to start off? Give us your top five. Uh, yes. So, at number five is going to be Lady Bird. Um, Lady Bird, I feel like a lot of people know, but just to, you know, give a... 30-second spiel. It's a story about um, a young girl who calls herself Lady Bird, and it's basically a coming-age story um, set in, like, 2002, I believe, and she goes to a Catholic high school, and it deals with her relationship with her mother, which is pretty up and down, to be honest, and they're more on, like, the low-income side of things, so she navigates that, and just trying to fit in high school and stuff like that. Also, college, which is a pretty big part of the movie as well, because she has big aspirations to go to school in New York, which seems kind of unlikely, um, at least according to her mother. Um, And I just, I don't know, I really loved the movie. Well, first, I really loved the way it was made. I just thought it was a really beautiful movie, especially with, like, the shots of Sacramento, because I felt like Sacramento was a character in and of itself, because it played such an important role in the movie for the characters. And... Me being a young girl who has had arguments with her mom and stuff in the past, I just, I thought the movie was at its strongest when it was exploring the relationship between Lady Bird and her mother. I thought those were the parts that were the best, the acting, just phenomenal. Um, There were some cliche storylines, but they didn't retract from the movie, I thought. So yeah, Lady Bird. Yeah, I mean, I love the movie also. It's number two on my list. Um, And I can't really connect to the like daughter mother thing um <laughs> but i the reason i love this movie the reason why i connected to it was because i went to a catholic mm. uh single sex school and th- what i thought the movie did a really good job of was balancing it didn't feel overly sentimental it felt really realistic yeah. but they had these little moments of humor that i really loved and really colored the film and i liked the fact that the way that they depicted the parents was very realistic like you had the yeah. father who he comes off initially as a deadbeat and then he moves transitions from like deadbeat to like loyal father who's mm-hmm. trying to put on airs as running, you know, being able to support his family. But then he goes behind his wife's back and then the mother, I mean, you can talk forever about how yeah. the mother is in this movie. And then you have that heartfelt moment at the end when she's driving away from the airport and she starts crying mm-hmm. and just, it's a very heartfelt movie. It's nothing to, you know, story isn't anything special. It's a pretty straightforward you know, coming-of-age movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to agree with you. I mean, I ranked it even higher, so I absolutely loved this movie. It's getting a lot of awards buzz, and I think it 100% deserves it. Me too. Yeah, I've not seen it yet, um, but I definitely want to. I don't know if you guys watch the Hollywood Reporter Roundtables. Yes. Um, they're incredibly awesome, and uh, the snippet of Greta Gerwig, the writer-director of this film, 
uh, super insightful. Um, she says that a lot of this movie was not entirely autobiographical, but really takes a lot from her own life. Yeah. Um, and although I've not seen it, I can definitely tell um, Saoirse Ronan do- looks to be doing an awesome job of really uh, portraying this very specific individual, which mm-hmm. kind of makes it more relatable because of how specific it is, I would think. Yeah, I feel I'm like... I'm excited to see it, though. Ronan, her character could have easily went on the verge of being, like, too much, I feel like. But she... Or annoying, even. And there are, of course, some scenes where, like, she's annoying, but you're meant to feel that way. She never... She does such a good job at keeping the character still relatable, even though Lady Bird is a lot of a person. You never feel like she's too much. And I think a lot of that has to do with Ronan's performance. She's just phenomenal in it. She... I think she deserved that Golden Globe that she got. She was great. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so number four is another movie I think both of us have seen. Mm-hmm. You want to take it away? Yeah. So, number four for me was Three Billboards, Billboards Outside of Evan, Missouri. Um, this movie, I love this movie. Um, I was, so when I first heard what the movie was about, which was like crime drama movie about um, a mother who sets up these three billboards because her daughter was raped and killed like nine months ago, I think it was. And there's been no, like, no, um, no one's been arrested yet. And she sets up these three billboards outside Evan, Missouri, um, to sort of put awareness to the fact that there hasn't been any arrest. And it sort of lights up the whole town and kicks off the plot. And when I first heard this, I thought it was going to be like really super dramatic. Like I was going to be crying and it was going to be really dark and it is dark, but like, there's, it's a dark humor in sort of way. Like, there were many scenes in the movie where I was genuinely laughing out loud. And I was just like, why is this so funny sometimes? But, like, I just thought it was really brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, writer and director uh, Martin McDonough, he's, in, he's really good at using violence in a way that is extremely realistic and kind of graphic, but also, like, kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, And I think that this movie is a perfect example of this. And also, just the way that he plays with morality. There's been a ton of think pieces about the role that Sam Rockwell plays, how Mm -hmm. his character develops, whether or not the character's redeemed at the end. And I sort of agree with McDonough's take, which was that, well, he's not really redeemed, but this isn't a story with heroes or villains. These are just people trying to act in this morally ambiguous world. What I was kind of struck by was Frances McDormand's performance as the the mother is something that you go you oscillate between hating her and yeah. sympathizing with her because there's that uh, the scene when um Woody Harrelson commits suicide and you know that mm-hmm. you sort of get the feeling that one of the reasons why he's doing that is obviously he's sick but also because he feels guilt over this uh the fact that they haven't found a, a perpetrator uh and so you you oscillate between sympathize sympathy and anger at her and it just it's a really brilliant way and in the end you feel satisfied but at the same time you not really because yeah. you know that they're off to like beat up basically attack some guy who is a rapist but yeah. not the rapist they're looking exactly. for and it just the way that the morality works you could like it's really incredible the way that martin mcdonough plays with like good and evil and how he creates these worlds, and you immediately buy into it. Yeah, I feel like you could write, like, a whole thesis on the reality of this movie, just because I completely agree with you about the mother. Like, the scene where Woody Harrelson, like, tries to, like, I guess you could say reason with her and, like, say, well, you know I have cancer. And she's just like, okay, it wouldn't my billboards wouldn't be as effective if you were dead, right? And, I'm, and I just remember watching that scene and thinking, like, 
Jesus, like, that was really cold. And, like, when he's giving his reasons about why they haven't found who uh, did this to her daughter yet, it's it's making sense. Like, it's not like they weren't trying. Maybe they haven't been doing enough, but they were trying. So there was a lot of moments in the movie where I was just like, do I agree with what you just did right now? Or do I hate it? I mean, I, I think didn't know. Woody Harrelson is probably the only really wholesome yeah. character in the movie, and he commits suicide midway yeah. through. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's this darkly tragic work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, it, it's getting a lot of... There's kind of some controversy about it, uh, which I think is worth delving into. But overall... I still love the world that McDonough creates and how he plays with morality and right and wrong. I I also have this ranked at four. Yeah. So at this rate, I'm not going to be able to talk at, about my top five. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, yeah, I absolutely really, really like this movie. Yeah. And then, so at number three is a movie that we all have on our lists mm-hmm. at varying levels. Yeah. Um, take it away. So number three for me is Logan. Um, so it's funny my relationship with Logan, I am actually not a big X-Men fan, to be honest. I have not seen all of the X-Men movies. I don't even remember one of them, to be honest. I went into the theater because it was free, (laughs) and I wanted to go see a movie. And I walked out of that movie thinking that I needed to see every single X-Men movie before that, and I don't know if they're all good. You you don't. I don't (laughs) know anything. I, I actually think you do. Well, I, you can skip Origins. I, not be, not because of um, because of completionist's sake or that they're all good, mm-hmm. but because that 17 years worth of history adds so much weight to the story of Logan, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I still think you can I mean, skip Origins and not may, Maybe not marathoning <laughs> them. Like, just having grown up with the character personally, that, that uh, having true. watched every movie, I think it hits so much harder. But yeah. you don't really remember any of the yeah. movies, and no. it still struck a chord and, with it, And yeah. it's still... And it's funny, too, because I was with my roommate when I saw it, and she grew up with X-Men and all of the characters. So, like, she, of course, it hit her really hard. Mm-hmm. But um, I was still crying at the end of it. I just thought the way... First of all, Hugh Jackman... Amazing, absolutely Patrick fantastic. Stewart too. Yes, Patrick Stewart Even, is so good, and incredible. I once again, I've never really seen any of the X Men movies, and I was just in awe. Um, and also the little girl, I can't remember her name, but Laura, she was great. Laura in the movie, I yeah, Laura the in the movie. Daphne Keen. Yeah, she was great. I loved mm, her. Incredible. Um, I just thought the movie, I thought it had such. I haven't seen a superhero movie. I guess you could say, hit cues like that movie because it was a superhero movie but it didn't always feel like that like there were moments where it felt like a western mm-hmm. there were like so many other genres that it was pulling for that i haven't really seen in superhero movie since i guess you could say nolan's batman takes like it it felt like that to me and i was i didn't realize how much superhero fatigue i had until i saw logan and it was so different that i was like yeah, I am really getting tired of seeing the same thing over and over again. So, like, when I saw this movie, which is why, even though I saw it way back in March, I knew it was going to stay on my top five list throughout the whole year. I just was like, this is one of the greatest movies I've seen. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. pretty much agree. It's at number five on my list. I think um, we'll have plenty of time to revisit it, too. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, it's it just shows, like, one of the reasons why I think superhero movies have sort of persevered this long is mm-hmm. because... 
with superheroes, you're able to combine genres really well. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. two of the best superhero movies, a movie that I almost put on the list was Wonder Woman. Because I think that that movie blends genres extremely well like Logan does. You have a bit of comedy, uh, fantasy, action, adventure, the and then classic superhero. Yeah, it's a war film. Mm-hmm. Uh, classic superhero tropes. With Logan, like you were saying, it's essentially a Western. There are constant references in the movie to Shane, the famous mm-hmm. yeah. Western film. Uh, and It's also quite noir. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of noir elements. The The black and white version is actually called Logan Noir. I have it on Blu-ray. Oh, wow. It makes the movie ten times better. Oh. I would love to see that. It's yeah, awesome. Because yeah. the, the way they use lighting and in this movie, it, it, it's like ten times better. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Yeah. And Even better than the Mad Max black and white version. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really that's high praise. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe my only issue with the movie and why I still think that, like, if you look at the upper echelon of superhero movies, it's obviously there. But mm-hmm. I still maintain that the Dark Knight trilogy is better. <laughs> um, but I think that my only issue with it was it, it really goes overboard with the R rating. Like, to the point where I think it's kind of excessive. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing, you know, Wolverine stab his claws through guys. But when it's happening for, like, the 50th time, See, it just kind of numbs me. Black and white sort of helps dilute that a little bit, too, because it's not red splattering over everywhere. Okay, yeah, so that's it, probably that's yeah. probably better. But you have a, it's a very character-driven film. It's yeah. also a bit of a road trip film. And then mm-hmm. the ending is just, you know, the fact that they kill off both Professor X and Logan throughout well, the film. Spoilers. Oh, I mean, I think we've already spoiled <laughs> yeah. uh, The fact that they kill off both P- Professor X and Logan at varying points in the movie, it, it hits you. It hits you hard. And like you were saying, yeah. Elon, I, I do see your point about the fact that, like, if you've grown up with these movies, it does feel like an end, uh, the end of an era, but it, it's satisfying. Yeah, and, I mean, because of that, like, this relationship between uh, Wolverine and Professor X has been kindling for so long. It's, you, it's not really always at the forefront of these movies, but it's kind of just there. And in this one, it becomes the forefront, and mm-hmm. it makes you really care about their connection together. You understand that everything um, Logan does in this movie is really so that he and uh, Charles can be safe together. Uh, it's, it's, it, I cried when, like, he knew that his clone had killed Charles, and he's just like, it wasn't me, it wasn't yeah. me, it wasn't me. Yeah, it's it's, it's a poignant film. It's touching, mm-hmm. and it's very entertaining. Also. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, yeah, it's got some fantastic action that goes. I think goes a little too far with the gore, but it takes. I think it it is a great way to send off Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. I really hope they don't bring him back now that yeah. Disney owns Twentieth Century Fox. Uh, it's a great way to end it. I would probably put it in my top five superhero movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a real testament to how wonderful this movie is that someone like me who is not mm-hmm. an X-Men fan could put it at number three in her top five. Like, yeah. I think that just goes to show how wonderful this movie was. Mm-hmm. And then, so what do you have at number two? So number two, I have a movie called Call Me By Your Name. Um, Such a great title. Yeah. Say. <laughs> it is an incredible yeah, a romance title. title. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have seen it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I see yeah. It. Oh, we all have Um so Call Me By Your Name is set in Italy, and it's basically about um, a young boy named Elio, um, who is in Italy for the summer with his parents, and they bring a graduate student along um, to stay and, like, study with them. And throughout the grad student, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Army <laughs> Hammer. Please. Army Hammer. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember the character's name right now, but... um. Army Hammer, throughout his stay um, with Elio, they begin to build this wonderful, beautiful romance in Italy. And I think what struck me the most about this movie was that it wasn't, it 
the movie has a structure but not really in the sense like there are a lot of scenes that just kind of go on or just kind of end and it's not it doesn't feel like a movie it feels like you're just watching two people have a romance and that's kind of it and the movie certainly has no problem taking its time and just like letting it drag but I don't I feel like drag has a negative connotation I don't mean it in a bad way obviously this is my second yeah exactly let it play out and just it's a really beautiful movie I thought that cinematography was gorgeous I mean of course Italy um but it shot beautifully I I thought the direction was great and I thought um Timothy Chalamet yeah yeah I think I pronounced that right I thought he was fantastic um, one of the best performances I've seen of the year, um, especially because I had not seen him in anything before, because I, I saw this before Lady Bird. So I had not seen him in anything before, and I was just like, who is this kid? Like, why have I not seen him in anything? I hope to see him in everything now, or at least everything good. And, yeah, it was just... I also love the fact that this was a romance between two men, but it wasn't... That wasn't, like, the main point. You know, like, it's not a big deal. They don't do, like, the whole... Uh, storyline of like oh people are against them being gay or like the parents won't accept them like that that doesn't play out it's just a romance between two people who end up falling in summer love like that's it and I love that about it so yeah yeah I think it really um, just so expertly captures the simplicity of intimacy mm-hmm. um, it's kind you know uh, intimacy is really actually in real life, kind of uncomfortable, um, kind of weird, kind of funny, but ultimately still sweet. Yeah. And the whole the feeling of the entire film kind of emulates that throughout. Mm-hmm. It's a really intimate film throughout, and that kind of mirrors the intimacy between Elio and Oliver. Oliver, there we go. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. All of their scenes, like especially their first scene where they first have sex, is so awkward but so mm-hmm. sweet at the same time, and it just exactly what you just said it perfectly mirrors that awkward but still sweet and intimate feeling that your first time with someone can be like or your first Mm -hmm. anything with someone can be like you know so it was beautiful in that regard yeah I mean I don't really have a lot to add I think you guys basically (laughs) nailed it Um, I will say this movie made me want to study abroad in Italy yes too late for that but you still yeah you guys both have a chance, I think. I've already applied to study abroad. Oh, not okay. Italy. Copenhagen. Oh, okay. Well, you can always visit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then number one. So my number one film of the year is a film that I saw way too late, to be honest. But um, Get Out, uh, directed by Jordan Peele. Starring written also. Dan- written also by Jordan Peele, which is fantastic. And starring Daniel Kaluuya, who I saw a long time ago in Black Mirror. And I said... He needs to be everywhere. He's fantastic. So I am very glad that he's getting his moment. But anyways, Get Out <laughs> Get Out is about uh, this interracial couple, um, a black man and a white woman. And he goes with her to meet her family for the weekend and finds out that this place is not all it seems to be and that this family is not the quote-unquote post-racial family that they make themselves out to be. I would have voted for Obama for a third term. Um, enter that quote there. I love this movie. I thought that this movie hit on every note that I wanted a movie like this to hit on. Um, I feel like Jordan Peele 
I already knew Jordan Peele is an expert at comedy. He's hilarious. And I thought that the movie did a good job in not only being funny at moments, but also really tense. Like, that opening scene where uh, the guy is walking through the neighborhood and he's just like, oh, uh, I don't want to be in, you know, this kind of weird in the suburbs, black guy in the suburbs. And it plays out, like, that part is a joke, but then once you see the car following him and he just gets dragged away and you linger on that shot, was really creepy. Like, I was like, okay, this might actually, like, send shivers down my spine. It didn't outright terrify me, but it did, like, leave me feeling tense. And I love this so much. I wrote a final paper on it. I thought that this movie did everything it needs to do, especially with all of the social things that Peel threw in the script, which I thought was just phenomenal. And, yeah, Get Out, my favorite movie of the year. One of my favorite movies, probably, of all time. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying earlier, a lot of the movies on this on our lists blend genres really together. Mm-hmm. And this movie just brilliantly blends horror tropes with comedy yeah. with incredibly sharp social commentary that on one hand feels very obvious, but on the other hand feels very nuanced and subtle mm-hmm. and that, you know, you kind of have to pause and think about for a moment. And, yeah, I mean, like you were saying, Dejour, like there are moments of tension that make it feel like a genuine horror movie. Yeah. And then you have, like, the ending with the TSA. Mm -hmm. That was hilarious. So it's this contrast where Peele works in extremes, and I think that just drives home the messages of the movie so much more. This is a movie that – a horror movie that definitely rewards rewatching and deep analysis. Uh, This this script is, like – it's airtight. It's full of these expertly dropped subtle hints. Mm -hmm. Like, um, upon rewatching it – the one scene that really stood out to me is when he's introduced to Georgina, the who's yes. actually the grandma, and she's like, "Oh, grandma, love this kitchen, so we keep we always keep a part of her mm-hmm. in here." And like, Georgina's the yes. part of her in there. It's um, so it, throughout the entire movie, upon the second viewing, like you just get so many of those, and it's not like um, it's, it doesn't like jump out at you, but it's just like so smart. It, um, Jordan Peele said that you know comedy and horror the actual actually the most uh, alike genres because it's really about setup and then eliciting an emotion mm-hmm. from someone and i think uh this movie really really exhibits that uh the subtext obviously um with a lot of the imagery like uh the girlfriend eating her fruit loops her colored fruit loops and her glass of milk separately Amazing. um uh, uh our protagonist using cotton to free himself yeah. from them uh, you know, really juxtaposing all these images together uh, that really the adds so many, scene. so many layers um, to this story. And even without those, it's just an, uh, such a tightly written, intense movie that just happened to become this cultural zeitgeist that elevates it yeah. um, above what it already was. And you know, hopefully, we just get more and more of this kind of stuff from Jordan Peele. Yeah. Like he is like this is the type of thing that makes you a star. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like kind of one of. One of, if not the defining movie of 2017. Yeah. And yeah. like you were saying, I mean, like you were saying, Iman, there is not a wasted mm-hmm. shot in this movie. Yeah, Every shot serves like, a purpose. Personally, not in my top 10 movies of, all, mm-hmm. of this of this year, but like you have, you, you'd have to be like ignorant if you didn't recognize how uh, just well made of a movie it is and how important of a movie it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So moving on now to Iman's list. So Woo. Iman has <laughs> at number one. I guess I'll just go ahead and spoil it already. At Logan at number one. <laughs> Uh, which we already talked about, but the other four we have yet to get to. I have more to say about Logan. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, three of the four, only Iman has seen. <laughs> yeah, so actually, you're the gonna first three I'm going to talk of, about. Yeah, a lot of Iman in our future right now. Uh, 
Yeah, take it away with five. your numbers five to three. All right, so I actually uh, numbered this list in such a way that I didn't want to do a lot of repeats. Um, you know, my number one, Logan, was just because I could not not put that at number one. Yeah. Um, but uh, number five, John Wick Chapter 2. Uh, maybe a little bit biased this movie because it was the first movie I ever went to a press screening for, so it was a special place in my heart. But I already loved the first movie before this, and the second movie really does um, – what a perfect sequel should do, and that's expand on what was great about the first movie, but also introduce so many new elements. And one of the greatest things about the first movie was this crazy under- underground criminal world that's kind of weird and self-aware. Um, and the second movie, John Wick 2, just expands upon it so much that it's it's hilarious, um, it's fun, but um, the action in this movie is some of the best choreographed action sequences you'll see in any movie ever, especially the seen at the catacombs and at the concert. They're so elaborate and put against these dazzling settings. Um, there's tons of unique characters in this movie. Uh, John Wick himself, you know, it really establishes this myth about the character and you really start to believe it. Um, and just the directing of the movie is delectable because it's like it's like like John Woo meets Nicholas Winding Refn, I'd say. It's like like art house film, but full of bullets and jujitsu. That's the best way I can put it. Um, and yeah, it's probably the most rewatchable movie of the year, hands down. It's so fun. Every single shot, every single fight sequence, and almost every single line is just like, uh, it's worthy of making your jaw drop like 10 times over. It's on my watch list. It's and the two. first John Wick is an excellent movie. First yeah. John Wick is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I cannot wait to see where they go with the third one. I yeah. can't wait to see how they expand this. And then next. All right. Uh, number four is not a very well-known movie. It's Raw. It's a French-Belgian horror film. Um, kind of horror. I wouldn't actually say horror. But I wrote about it in um, the 10 movies that you missed in 2017. And I'm pretty sure that you missed it, whoever you are that's listening to this. It's on Netflix. You should definitely check it out. Uh, and the best thing I have to say about this movie is that if you watch the filmmaking craft in this movie, it really shows you why women have t- have had such an impact behind the camera in cinema this year. You know, from Patty Jenkins, Greta Gerwig, um, Sofia Coppola, and with Raw, uh, Julie Ducourneau. Uh, not as well known, but should be on that upper echelon with those other um, women because sh- they add this kind of intangible aspect with uh, this feminine backbone to the terror that makes it, I don't know, it just elevates it so much and weaves this bloody tapestry that powerfully represents um, this coming-of-age tale. It's it's about this girl, who, she's a vegetarian, she goes to veterinarian school, and uh, she's, like, hazed, made to eat a rabbit kidney, and then she starts to acquire this uh, hunger for meat, ultimately escalating in human meat, and, but it's, it's, really a beautiful movie and this allegory about um the sexual awakening of girls in college and uh naivete and indulgence and i think uh it's it might be a barrier to entry is that it is of course gruesome Mm -hmm. and kind of a weird premise but if you can get past those and really watch this movie it's an incredible experience and they gave us barf bags at the press screening if that (laughs) tells you anything about it didn't need it but I can't say this is as high on my watch list. <laughs> at some point, yeah, uh, from what I've heard about the movie, I think I'll yeah, get I've around. I've heard good things. On so. a completely empty stomach. Yes. Yeah, I, I have the highest praise for it, uh, and 
That's what there is to say about it. <laughs> Next up is a movie that I heard only good things about, and I Same. really, really want to see it. So I'm interested to hear your mm-hmm. take about it, Iman. Yeah, so The Florida Project. Um, we I, I was lucky enough to write about this in The Voice's Top 10 Movies of 2017. Um, and I think this is another movie that everyone should see. It's written and directed by Sean Baker. I don't know if you guys have seen Tangerine or heard of it. Yes. It's his... Uh, it's this movie he shot entirely on iPhone, but it's about these two um, transgendered prostitutes. But really, this um, Florida Project continues his trend of doing these little slices of life, but making them so intimate, kind of like um, Lady Bird in a way. Mm-hmm. Obviously, very different life, very specific, but so um, so relatable, um, even though it's a story about these this family, this little girl and her single mother living in poverty, living out of a... Mot- a budget motel right next to Disney World. It helps that I'm from Florida. I've been to this city where this movie takes place. Um, but it just so beautifully captures, um, rather than exploiting uh, poverty, it ca- rather captures like the discovery of childhood, You know the, what comes with a lack of experience, finding the magical and the mundane. And the ending is gut-wrenching. Uh, and after watching the whole movie, you know, there's no way you won't ball your eyes out. Uh, and Willem Dafoe, also probably the best performance of his career. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's high praise. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, he's just such a real guy in this movie. Incredible. Mm. And the little girl, she, she made, like, same level as Daphne Keenan Logan. A lot oh. of very good child actors this yes. year. Yeah. Really it, impressive. It, I was yeah, just going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then Second View, Iman, is a movie that I th- we can all talk about now. Or, We've or all seen, seen it? it Okay, don't kill me. I have not. This will be. This should definitely uh, be on your watch list. Graham, we did a. We did a. We did a. Okay, whole so number two us. for me, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Uh, we did a podcast. Yeah, so on let's it let's. <laughs> so we don't <laughs> have move to quickly. Y- you can kind of uh, go over to that one if you want to know more about our uh, varied thoughts on it. Um, but Bla- the first Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies of all time. I did not think that you could touch it, but Denis Villeneuve. Most exciting director working today, in all honesty. Um, and, you know, Blade Runner shouldn't have, by no means should have a sequel. It was a box office bomb. It was very... So it was the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, this movie has no... Like, it's a miracle that this slow, nearly three-hour contemplative genre film uh, could muster this budget and talent to allow for this level of production. I mean, the production design, the cinematography... Some of the best you'll ever see in any film. Uh, the movie is like I said in my review that it's monolithic. That's the best word I can come up with it because it's just gigantic, um, incredible world building, incredible sound design, and so many uh, questions are asked. Some answered, some not in uh, uh, ordinary Blade Runner fashion. But really, it's just one of the most visually compelling experiences and. Uh, thought-provoking film experiences that I've seen in a while. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of dreading this movie because mm-hmm. the first Blade Runner is such a, like, it's such an iconic film, and it's a type of movie that does yeah. not need a sequel at all. But, yeah, like you were saying, I mean, we talked about this on the podcast, but it feels very much set in the world, and yet very organic expansions mm-hmm. of the world that Ridley Scott built, and visually, if Roger Deakins doesn't win yeah. an Oscar for cinematography, this will be his 14th nomination. It's an absolutely gorgeous film. It asks a lot of questions. Uh, I mean, I doubt we'll see a Maybe in 30 years we'll see a sequel to this. Um, unfortunately, it did not do very well at the box office. 
but it deserves all of the critical praise that it got. Uh, and then, like I said earlier, I unfortunately spoiled it, but number one is Logan, which I think we can probably discuss again now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just adding on to what DeJour said, um, one of the best superhero movies of all time, obviously, and even without that superhero lens, it's just this excellent, compelling, um, emotional Western with incredible world building. I think uh, that goes a little bit unnoticed. Like, this world of 2029 post-mutant is very, very well-developed, uh, very small cues dropped about how the mutants have almost gone extinct through industrialization, um, the mutation of corn and stuff like that. Uh, so much detail, uh, uh, this consumerist nightmare production design. Um, the cinematography in this movie is amazing as well. Um, and obviously just this perfectly cathartic goodbye to the Wolverine that's enveloped in this superhero movie that kind of is a commentary on other superhero movies um, and sort of examines the the superhero myth itself, but then also reaffirms the myth and is all like, we do need our heroes. And that's perhaps the best way for this character to go out. Yeah, I mean, this is number five on my list, so it's the perfect segue. Mm -hmm. Um, But... One thing that I think kind of goes unnoticed, I actually forgot about until you just mentioned the myth, mythical aspect of it, yeah. is the fact that they have comic books exactly. in the movie yes. that the characters read, and then uh, Wolverine essentially says, like, oh, well, like, most of this isn't true. This isn't mm-hmm. how it actually mm-hmm. happened, uh, which, I mean, indicates that there is some kernel of truth to the comic books, and it's sort of the idea that, you know, we mythologize these, these characters. Than life and he- heroes, yeah. Especially today, because superhero movies have become such major parts of... If not just like our our film, they're like, like our, our our modern Greek myth. myth yeah, exactly. Characters. Like, like these, Achilles these, and stuff like they're that. Like these Ubermensch, these mm-hmm. you know, and and also the fact that you now have superhero movies that are you know expanding out to become like social moments, like mm-hmm. Wonder Woman. Many yeah. look to as this sort of cultural moment, and then Black Panther's mm-hmm. coming out soon, which is going to be another one of those sort of watershed moments for the genre. And yeah, I think Logan just does such a good job of organically. Mm-hmm enveloping this in a movie that just like you really can't say enough good things yeah. um, mm-hmm. about it uh yeah so number five on my list logan number four three billboards which we already discussed mm-hmm. uh and then number three was a movie that i wasn't really expecting to be that good because i really don't like james franco um <laughs> or seth rogan for that matter but the disaster artist really blew me away loved it. it i think what surprised me the most about it was that it's surprisingly heartfelt Mm-hmm. A, for the subject matter that it's dealing with, it never feels like it's mocking Tommy Wiseau, uh, even though you obviously laugh throughout the movie at his various yeah. quirks and intricacies. But the movie is very much a movie about the desire to, you know, make it in Hollywood and, and sort of become a star and have all this fame. And then what's great about the ending is that, you know, in a weird way, he achieves that. And obviously now he's at cult status and he's become kind he of an icon. He stood on the Golden Globe stage. Yeah, yeah he like, stood you on the Golden Globe yeah. stage. And, yeah, so surprisingly, not a not a, not a cynical movie, a very heartfelt movie. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Really surprisingly touching, um, which I, I did not expect from James Franco. I'll admit it. I had middling expectations, but this movie really, really makes you laugh. But yeah. it also is it's kind of weirdly inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was uh, in a podcast we did early last semester. I said this was the movie I was looking forward to most for uh, the rest of 2017. I discovered The Room in high school, watched it so many times. And I thought, you know, when James Franco and his friends were going to make a movie about it, I was like, okay, this is just some 
cra- crazy thing that's made purely for my own sense of humor. But it's so much more than that. Like you said, it's inspiring. Um, it's this exhibition of you know, friendship between the two of them uh, and the various points of their friendship. And I, I just can't get enough of how it's all played out past the movie to Tommy Wiseau walking on the Golden Globe yeah. stage. Yeah, It's incredible to me. Yeah, I agree. I thought you can tell that this movie was like James Franco's like pet project. Like he put so much care. He he really does a fantastic job in this movie as um Tommy Wiseau. He he really does kill it. But I have to admit I didn't love this movie. Um I really really liked it. I I too am a big fan if you could say that of the room. <laughs> I've seen it many times and I really appreciated James Franco's performance, but a part of me, there was something about this movie that wasn't, like, clicking for me as much, and then I watched a review of it and realized that there was a part of me that was wondering how good this movie would have been if someone other than James Franco directed it. I just feel like I'm not too big of a fan of his director's style. I think it's kind of bland. I think it's kind of boring. And I just feel like if someone more, I don't know, like, interesting would have directed it and he could have put all of his energy into, like, the acting and, like, all the other stuff that he did with the movie, then maybe it would have popped more for me, if that makes sense. So, like, I really enjoyed the movie and I laughed a lot and I appreciated that it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't uh, cynical and that it had a lot of heart in it, but... uh it was just that little thing that kept me from, like, really loving it. I thought it could have been a lot better than it was. I Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Um, I think I sort of commented with a different take in that I feel like James Franco is kind of the only person. He clearly has a deep yeah. adoration for mm-hmm. The Room and for Tommy Wiseau. And it would have been interesting to see him still act and then have another person direct it. Uh, but in some way, I sort of took to the bland, sort of very journeyman-like directing style because – when you're dealing with a subject as absurd as Tommy Wiseau mm-hmm. and as absurd as The Room, I think you sort of need a blasé style to sort of let that come out. Um, it's also kind of meta because Tommy Wiseau did direct The Room. So James Franco playing T- Tommy Wiseau is directing the movie about Tommy Wiseau. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. But I think that that's a, that's a fair criticism of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, again, I did not expect it to be like this. Yeah, so- I think part of the reason I liked it so much was because my expectations were kind of low and it just kind of blew – completely blew them out of the I think, water yeah i think it might have been the opposite for me like i went in really thinking that i was going to like this was going to definitely be a mm-hmm. top five movie for me like i was going to love it so much because of how funny the room is for me so i guess it might have been the opposite for me and that i just went in think it was going to be like a masterpiece and i didn't get that from it so yeah that makes that makes sense yeah. um and then number two on my list was lady bird which we already discussed mm-hmm. Uh, and then number one, I did a podcast on this movie over the summer. Uh, I will preface this by saying I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fanboy. Um, but Dunkirk, I mean, this is a basically a 95-minute experimental film that I really think that only Nolan could have made. Um, he ties three uh, plot lines that take place over different periods of time together. Uh, and it's very much a movie about survival and about the individual struggle against – the the collective is on the beach and yet the movie still focuses on these three main characters that you have tom hardy in the air um i forget the name of the actor who is on the beach 
I should really know this. Um, oh, Fionn Whitehead, that's the name of the actor. Uh, and then you have Mark Rylance on the boat. And the movie just... I know that people have been criticizing it for not having character development and not really having arcs, but I think that that works because it kind of just throws you in with these characters and they feel it feels raw and human and there's so many moments where I was just gripping my seat. It's such an such a tense movie. It's essentially like the third act of a movie stretched over 95 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it in IMAX. I saw it in 70 millimeter. Beautiful, a beautiful film. Yeah. Um, and just the way that Nolan uses visuals and audio. And I think one thing that's definitely like one little thing in the movie that just demonstrates the fact that Nolan is one of the best filmmakers working today is that. When the sh- when the when the boats finally come to rescue the soldiers, uh, what struck me I think the third time watching it was that there were only about like twelve or fourteen boats in the shot, and I feel like another director would have CG'd like ten or twenty more boats to show like oh my god look at the scale of this escape or this rescue, but Nolan instead keeps it very first off he keeps it real and practical with the effects, mm-hmm. but also he keeps things in perspective so you never feel overwhelmed by what you're seeing, it still feels very individual and very intimate. And I just think that this is the type of movie that maybe I, maybe I won't rewatch it as many times as like I rewatch interstellar rewatch the dark Knight trilogy, but it's such a beautiful look at survival. And I could talk forever about this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I'm going to stop in a sec, but surprisingly emotional. Also in the end, Mm -hmm. I cried the first time I saw it when the guy hands Harry styles, a, beer which i didn't think that he hands it uh to him through the train window and i never thought i would cry at harry styles but uh it was truly like a moving movie watch uh, the sign of the times music video where you cry again. <laughs> um yeah just a beautiful beautiful film i'm gonna stop talking because i've been really rambling uh but yeah i absolutely adored this movie uh okay so yeah i t- i think what you said that only christopher nolan could have made this movie is really um the big point uh he also shows so much restraint uh i think any other filmmaker would have given all these characters a lot of background um and like i i don't remember pretty much every character in this movie i don't know their name yeah you'll you know Uh, them by the actor yeah uh or just what they did uh the guy who was actually french uh the main kid harry styles uh but because you know he cares so little for this, the character details, the contextual backgrounds of them, it really plunges you so much further into this experience, and kind of like shows the meaning of what cinema is, and that it's not telling you what to think, but just like putting you there and having you experience it for yourself. Um, so many shots individually really have that effect. My favorite shot in the whole movie uh, is it. The camera is. Uh, stationed on the boat but the boat is sinking so it's sideways and the water is filling up the screen sideways such like a an inventive shot that really really completely immerses you into the film and in the water um like i yeah i have nothing but great things to say about it. it's one of the best war films ever made it's pure anxiety at 24 frames per second is the best way i could describe it and uh yeah, it just show, it continues to show why Nolan's the best in the business. And so, the the final shot of the Tom Hardy in the plane flying with no pro, with no gas, absolutely beautiful. So um, I missed Dunkirk <gasps> when it was coming out in theaters. I missed it in theaters, and 
the main thing that I keep hearing about Dunkirk, Dunkirk is that how beautiful it is and how like you need to see an IMAX and all of this. Mm-hmm. So I think even though it's been on like my must watch for such a long time, the thing that's probably been holding me back from actually watching is because I missed it when it was in IMAX and I'm just so mad at myself for doing that that I don't want to like watch it on my laptop or like you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I have not seen Dunkirk. I will. I think it's going to be re-released at yeah. some point. In yeah, IMAX. like uh, yeah, Interstellar exactly. was re-released in IMAX at yeah. AMC Georgetown like last semester. So like, I feel like I want to wait for that. Wait, you know for what it, I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you can't really spoil the movie because it's based on a historical yeah. event. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I mean, I you know we did a podcast about it. Go listen to that. Yeah, because I just <laughs> wax about how great I think and how I think Nolan's it, a god. If anything, it, this is another movie that's the argument for watching movies in the theater. Yeah. yeah. And Nolan has really become yeah. that, like, sort of mm-hmm. one of the last defenders of, you know, yeah. film, using film as opposed to mm-hmm. digital. And watch this movie because you can tell there is a clear visual difference between this and, like, a movie shot on digital. Yeah. Um, that's material for another podcast, probably. So, in the interest of time, we all have come up with a couple of honorable mentions. Uh, I think we should all just go through and talk about one. Okay. Um, so, the movie that I really want to talk about is Molly's Game, which is written and directed by Aaron Sorkin of the West Wing fame. Uh, and it stars Jessica Chastain, who gives a fantastic performance. Um, kind of a, a slick, like anytime you have Aaron Sorkin writing a movie, the dialogue is always going to be sharp and witty and come at you, you know, extremely fast. Uh, what I think really makes this movie work is Chastain's performance. Um, she embodies all of her character's developments in the fact that the movie takes place over three different timelines. You have her training for the Olympics, and then you have her actually going forward with making all the poker games, and then you have her after the fact trying to figure out how to defend herself. And it's really a testament to how good an actress Chastain is that each part of this timeline feels like its own, th- like the, char- the, the character of Molly Bloom, who is a real person, um, is developing and each timeline represents a different development but at the same time it still feels like the same person Mm -hmm. and it just is extremely organic and also just incredibly entertaining if you have any interest in poker whatsoever it this is right up your alley um but idris elba is fantastic as well playing the lawyer and just a very slick you know maybe not the most affecting or not the most you know cinematic movie to come out um but an incredibly entertaining and just involving movie that i loved Seeing in theaters. Yeah. Um, so, Dejour, do you want to go with one of your uh, honorable mentions? Yeah. Okay. Which one? Okay. I'm going to go with Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, so, this movie... So, I am a huge fan of the original Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. Not so much three, but I love um, Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. Those are great. I vehemently hate the Amazing Spider-Man movies, both of them. I despise them. But, so I wasn't really looking forward to Spider-Man Homecoming, honestly, because I was like, again, I don't need to see it again. But I ended up coming out of this movie loving it. I don't think it's a perfect movie. Um, Not by any means, but I put it in my honorable mentions just because of how happy I was coming out of the theater. I had so much fun, and it also might have been how low my expectations were, that when I came in, and I thought Tom Holland was just fantastic as both Spider-Man and Peter Parker, um, I he had a, could tell he had a lot of fun with the role, and it was, it's was it been a long time since I've seen Spider-Man feel like authentically Spider-Man, because 
I didn't think uh, what's his name, Andrew Garfield did a good job. But then again, I hate those movies. Um, and for me, the best part about Spider-Man: Homecoming was the fact that they didn't do the whole origin story again. I was so happy to not have to see that again. Like they just went right into it because they know who's going to see these movies. You already know. Like you don't need you don't need to see it again. We don't need to see it again. So that made me really happy. Um, there are like a few things with it that I had issues with, but overall, I just I walked out of the theater happy. So it went on my honorable mentions. <laughs> nice, mm-hmm. Iman. Which one would you choose? You have a pretty extensive yeah. list here. I mean, some would call me an Alien Covenant apologist. I'm the Alien Co- Covenant apologist. <laughs> uh, this movie is it's in- incredible, and I ha- I really t- hate. I actually don't hate that it's got a divisive um, reception from fans. I actually think that that dialogue is very is very good for the film. Um, But it's just this this biblically scaled interstellar nightmare. It's got the body horror of Alien, the the gung ho violence of Aliens, the bleakness of Alien Three, the philosophical grandiosity of Prometheus, and it also retroactively improves Prometheus uh, as a film, but Alien Covenant itself is just pure great sci-fi, I would say, great horror, and great poetry, um, I think. Uh, This poetry about the cycle of creation and destruction, which I wrote about extensively on The Voice, which you should read, um, and it's like this meditation on these themes that was kind of smuggled in through this big-budget sci-fi movie, which I, I love. Uh, it's got, you know, Frankenstein, the Bible, Paradise Lost, so much is going on. And the best, it really cements Michael Fassbender as one of the best things to ever happen to this franchise. And we get two Michael Fassbenders in this movie, and they kiss. So if that, if that doesn't sell you on this movie, I don't know what will, but it's, it's haunting, it's beautiful, expertly made, incredibly thought-provoking, and yeah, I... I I'm, I will never stop apologizing for this movie. In fact, I shouldn't apologize for this movie. I can I can respect that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've we've talked a lot about the movies we've loved and how good these movies are. Um, but to close it out, why not end on a negative note? <laughs> um, so we all picked one movie. No, we're gonna end on a positive note because we'll talk about we'll just mention what our favorite m- movie to look forward to. Oh, is. true, true, true. Good point. Don't worry about that. Happy uh, <laughs> So the really quickly, we're gonna go through our worst movies, the movies we hated the most um, in 2017. Which one of you guys wants to start with this? I can start. Um, so I only have one movie. I think, are we all doing only one movie? Yeah. I only have one movie either way. But I unfortunately saw The Bye Bye Man. Um, and I don't want to say too much because I don't want to waste my breath. There's, I don't need to say enough. Just don't see it. It's terrible. It It's shot poorly, directed poorly, the acting, oh my god, the act. I don't even know, first of all, the name the Bye Bye Man, like, that's not, that's not scary, that's stupid, that's, that's laughable. I heard that and I laughed, it, I just, I don't know. The fact that they expected me to go into theater and be scared by a movie called The Bye Bye Man makes me upset. And then, if it would have been a good movie, I would have been less angered by the title. But no, just as I expected, it was crap. Don't watch it, that's all I have to say. To go along with a really, really bad horror theme... I would have chosen the movie Friend Request, mm. which was just absolutely horrendous. The thing was, I didn't pay to see it. It was at a critic screening. Ah. So uh, if I had to pay to see that, I would have said that. Mm-hmm. But 
another sort of wannabe horror movie that doesn't know what it is was The Mummy, uh, Tom Cruise. And I was actually very disappointed by this uh, for two main reasons. First <laughs> off, I actually really like Tom Cruise. I have never been disappointed by a Tom Cruise movie. I'm always entertained. And the other thing was I love the original Mummy and Mummy Returns with Brendan Fraser. Uh, and I just – nothing in this movie worked. It it bl- it tries to be – it doesn't know what it is. It, it has elements of action. It has elements of comedy, some romance, horror. And it doesn't do any of these things particularly well. I thought that the universe building was, was shoehorned in, but – I appreciate it because I, I actually kind of want the dark universe to work. I really love the universal monsters. But, God, I just – midway through this movie, the, the movie's an hour and a half, and I just wanted it to end really badly. If I hadn't paid, I would have walked out. Um, the best scene, hands down, is the wrestling match between Russell Crowe and Tom Cruise, which was just <laughs> absolutely hysterical. Uh, but not, you know, not for good reasons because it was ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I was extremely disappointed by this movie. Um, I think we should also add that – as crazy as the rules established in that world are, the movie doesn't even follow them. Like, so many things just, not that they don't make sense in our world, but they don't make sense in its world either. You do not know why some things happen, especially in the climax. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. the way the mummy herself is defeated, like, doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I I kind of want the dark universe to work, but at the same time, if the movies are going to be like this... Not a good no. start. Not That's for a, sure. Not a great start. Um... Yeah, I did write a review of this, a very scathing review for The Voice, because I was so angry when I left that I wanted to vent somewhere. Um, But yeah, really disappointed. I was also thinking about mentioning Transformers The Last Night here, but that movie isn't even worth the breath. Mm -mm. So, Iman, (laughs) why don't you take it away? Okay, so you guys mentioned horror movie, semi-horror movie. This movie is scary just how bad it is, and that's (laughs) Colin Trevorrow's The Book of Henry this is it's so like this movie doesn't understand how actual people like think and like are in real life it's so tonally all over the tone not all tonally all over the place but tonally it's just the the tone it has is so inappropriate for the themes it tries to portray in the story that it's trying to portray of um uh sexual assault to this um like 12 year old girl and this kid genius who dies and then leaves this book this diary to his mom that instructs her on how to literally murder the father of their neighbor who's sexually molesting uh his kid who he also happens to be the police chief too um it's all over the place um and the story uh, it could have it maybe it could have been done well but uh, in whatever hands it was put, it was absolutely not done well. Mm. Uh, this YouTube channel called Folding Ideas has this amazing, like, 45-minute video just on how bad this movie is. I definitely recommend watching it if you want to know, like, what not, to see, what you don't want to see in a movie. On that note, just want to point out, there's another YouTube channel called Ralph the Movie Maker that has a great, like, half-hour uh, review of the Bye Bye Man that also Alrighty. just goes through... <laughs> Like almost every scene and why every scene is bad, and I also recommend that if you want to not watch the Bye Bye Man but laugh at somebody else uh, crapping on the Bye Bye Man, which is always great. Excellent. Uh, and then to finish it off on a, a positive note, as Iman was saying, mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna name our one movie that we're really looking forward to in 2018. Um, 
I I don't know. There are not a lot of movies I'm really, really excited about, but one movie I cannot wait for is The Incredibles 2. Yes. Because The Incredibles is the best Pixar movie. Agreed. Um, of all time. Thank you, Dejour. Mm-hmm. That's why you're my co-host now. <laughs> uh, if you disagree, you're objectively wrong. Um, yep. And I would love to do a podcast about the just all the reasons The Incredibles is just... Uh, I would say it's a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little terrified for the sequel because... Uh, Pixar's track record with sequels is mixed at best. It really nailed the Toy Story trilogy, obviously, but, like, the Cars trilogy is is not good, and then Monsters University was meh. Um, So I'm really – I have very high hopes for this movie. Regardless of whether or not it's any good, I will be there opening night to see it. Uh, And I – please, please, God, Pixar, do not screw this up. That's (laughs) all I'm going to say. (laughs) Yvonne, what are you looking forward to? Uh, So usually, like, the – some of the movies that end up being the most uh, fun to watch, like, we don't know that they exist until, like, October or mm-hmm. something, like, or they get discovered in, like, the film festivals. Um, but, and, like, the blockbusters, uh, a lot of them are kind of uh, obvious, you know, like Avengers Infinity War and stuff like that. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Annihilation as well, but one that I do want to talk about is The Predator. Um, as well as being an Alien fan, I'm a huge Predator fan. Obviously, and this one's being held by, written and directed by Shane Black, who has done uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, um, and the writer of all the Lethal Weapons movies. Uh, hopefully, this is uh, just a return to form from the kind of diversion that uh, Predator Two and Predator and Predators Three was. Uh, it's got a great cast, hoping for some really cool visuals and a new exploration of the Predator mythos itself. Uh, not really much is known about the movie yet other than the cast and the crew, but it's a Predator movie, and I will always be there for it. Yeah. Actually, I completely forgot that movie was coming out this year. <laughs> that is definitely up there. That's a, that's a good that's a good one. Um, So for me, I won't talk too much because I feel like I am going for the more obvious route, but I don't care. My most anticipated next month, Black Panther. Woo. I am so excited for this movie. I mean, that cast, that representation, the... The story of Black Panther, I thought he was great, Civil War. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm really excited for this movie. I think it's going to be awesome. All the trailers just look so good. And um, I already got my tickets, so it's going to be great. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Coogler is an awesome director. Yeah. Yes. He, the best part of Creed is the directing, and he looks to be doing some inventive stuff in this movie just from the trailers. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm more excited for the movie or the podcast we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on that note, uh, thank you for listening. You can find more of the Voices podcast at the Voice Podcast Network um, on Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. Read more at georgeonvoice.com. You can read a lot of our commentaries at uh, halftime, which is part of the georgeonvoice.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Graham underscore Puro. I tweet a lot of Yankee stuff and dog stuff, so be warned. Uh, Iman, can we find you anywhere on social media? Uh, I do not have Twitter, but I have a feature-length film on YouTube that is free to watch. It is called Guess Again. Definitely check it out if you can. Deja, are you on Twitter? I am not, but I do have a new uh, bi-weekly column coming out for The Voice called Beyond the Screen, in which each new piece I'll be talking about a TV show or uh, movie that I thought was particularly influential. The first one is about a Norwegian drama called Scam, so look out for that. Excellent.
And I think by now the music is drowning us out, so stay tuned for our next episode. We don't know the topic yet, but it will be good. Uh, Take care. Thanks for listening.